you, you think about wine, you think about it in your glass, you think about it in a bottle, but you don't really think about what it takes to get there. And that, you know, farming is a huge part. From the heart of the Oregon wine country, you're listening to season four of the Wine Crush podcast. Stories uncorked for casual wine enthusiasts around the world. Featuring winemakers from the Willamette Valley. Sponsored by Country Financial. From origin stories to terroir, here is your host, Heidi Moore. Hello, everybody, and welcome into Wine Crush Podcast. We are here in beautiful downtown McMinnville, like we have said multiple times now. It is season four and episode four, and I am so excited to have John Tomaselli and Don Olson with Tori Moore with us today. And we're going to start with them and their story and hear all about Tori Moore and the history. So we're going to start with Don because I know for a fact that the vineyard is old. You're the second owner, and I want to hear the story and why Tori Moore kind of came to be. What does the name mean? And it's all yours. Let's hear it. Thank you, Heidi. Thank you. I'm old, and, and that's the, 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 the statement that we will start with. I'm old, too. So, But a long time ago, I had a dream, and those dreams that evolve never leave you. And the reality was that I heard that the best Pinot Noir in the world was planted in Dundee, Oregon. And this was about maybe 1985, and at that time, I took my son and we came to Oregon. And, and from that point forward, I looked at a piece of property and that afternoon I bought it and life has never been the same since. You and, didn't uh, waste any time jumping uh, head first and right uh, in. And we did. And uh, it was a planted vineyard that had been planted in the early 70s. And, and probably, uh, and many people have verified, it's probably the fifth in the state and so Pinot Noir. The people that planted it were some were friends and got to be, all got to be friends. The Dave Letts and and the Dickie Rath and and the Jimmy Marshes and all the people that were big in the beginning. I, I got to know really well. In the old days, coming to Oregon was special, and and we would gather together every Saturday night, and we would have potluck dinners together, and and above all, we would drink wine together. And uh, all of us thinking that maybe the best Pinot Noir really was from Oregon. And I had just come off a, a period of a year in, in France. And uh, my other life, I was a doctor and I got lucky and won a fellowship to go any place in the world. And I went to France. And with that, wandered around all of France and drank, you know, whenever I could, because it couldn't afford much. And so reality was that every place I went, I asked the same question. Why is this wine 35 feet from another vineyard? Why is this wine different than the one next door? And of course, the answer was always the same, terroir. And it was always spoken in a way that only a Frenchman could say. And that being said, after a period of a year, I came up with the idea that maybe we should say terroir differently. And the word Tory means gate, and, and more means the earth. So gate to the earth is Tory more, and my way of saying terroir. And so with that, we came back, and after a number of years, but in 1993, well, I should say 1985, bought the property, but in 1993, went ahead and started a winery. And it started because of a tragedy. And, and the tragedy was a guy named Fred Arterberry, who had had Jimmy Marsh Arterberry as his son. And he had a winery over here in McMinnville. And, and Fred and I were friends. He was a great guy. And well, the bottom line, he's, he, he died. And it was such a tragedy. And I took over his winery, which was next to Letts and over here on 10th Street. And, and that was what we started with, a thousand cases, basically. And nowadays we're up in the tens and twelves. And it's, it's been a, a journey, a journey of passion. And that's what it has to be when you're in the wine business, in my belief. So. so now that you own a winery and you own a vineyard, is it as magical as what you were originally dreaming it was going to be? Some days. Uh, some days it's hell on wheels, So, uh, but it is what it is. So you've got to love the business, otherwise you shouldn't be in it. And sane people probably never would be. And so but those of us who have caught the bug, it's a disease, that, uh, we do what we do, and, and, and you love it. And the reality of, of, of sipping a fine glass of, of Pinot Noir to me is, is special. 
And I think everybody I know, and I know John can confirm and, uh, that he came to me back about 15 years, how long, 15 years ago. 2006. <clears throat> yeah, and at that time we were in a transition. Patty Green had been my first winemaker, and, and she went off to do other things. And, and we were looking for a new winemaker, and I went to France to chase down a new winemaker and couldn't find one. I looked everywhere, talked to everybody, and wandered all over the, the Burgundy area and uh, came back. And the next day, Jacques Tardet walked in my office and sa- uh, said, I'd like to be your winemaker. And uh, so life changes and has funny funny things happen to you as, as they evolve. And John had come out from Ohio originally and then went to Arizona. Is that right? Yeah, Arizona uh, State. And did his business school down there and then made some wine in Arizona. Can you believe that? And, uh, they say uh, there's wine in every state. Uh, Except North Dakota. Uh, Except North Dakota. Uh, that is a new fact. Uh, I did not know that. So uh, there we go. Have you ever been there? I have. It's cold. It's really is, cold. Is that hearsay or is that uh, actual fact? That was a fact. Uh, uh, I bet you it's changed by now. Uh, Okay, we're going to fact check that a little Wikipedia <laughs> uh, when we're done here. But in any event, the evolution of the winery has been one of steady growth for over the years. And, and until this last year when we've had COVID and COVID has hit us all hard. And what we're going to do and how we're going to do it, I don't know. And maybe we'll just drink wine. And so who knows? So. It always seems to be a good start to a problem is uh, crack open a bottle of wine. It uh, seems like you get all sorts of creative and great uh, ideas the more wine you drink. Some people would question that. <laughs> I've been questioned a few times after some of my decisions after a bottle or three of wine as well. So I, I totally understand. John, what, what do you think? Who I think about how wine relate, how the wine business. Well, why are you here? What's all <laughs> Why am I here? Yeah. Oh, boy, I'll tell you. Yeah. My story is one of passion for sure. My earliest memories of my childhood come from making wine with my great-grandfather, my grandfather, and my dad every fall. I was bit by the bug very, very, very young. The memories are very vivid to me. The aromas, the, the feeling, the weather, the camaraderie. In my family, I come from Italian descent. Wine is, is food and is part of your everyday healthy living. And that was never something that, you know, was looked upon as something you shouldn't do. So even as a little boy, I was allowed to have some wine on Sundays and sample the wine when we went to our wine cellar. Where I grew up, there's a lot of Italian immigrants. And every fall, truckloads of grapes come in from California. Everybody would go and get their, their allocation, what they ordered for the year, bring it back to their site, wherever they were, and we would make the wine. So was it more of just a personal project in a fam family project, or was it a little bit more commercialized? And- no, it was more a family project, more family and a neighborhood project. You know, we'd get together multiple families at times, and we had a, a site in one of our rental properties in the, down in the basement that was locked off, and that was our, our wine cellar. It was all cement, dusty, spider webs. You know, it had all the, the old world feel. The whole charm yeah, of very, it A lot of charm, yeah. And, you know, and that, that stayed with me, stayed with me. You know, the holidays, like I said, Sundays, you know, there was always wine and I, and I always loved it. And it was something that I shared with my, my grandfather and my dad that, that my brothers weren't really involved in. So it was something special for us. So I always I held on to that and I, I kept it close. And even, even now, my dad and I still talk about wine, you know, on, once a week at least when we talk on the phone. But, you know, I never knew back then you could make a career from from winemaking until after I graduated school. I went to school for business. In the wine business, there's a lot of business. I still do, you know, I work with all the distributors and all the vendors and stuff. So it's just like any other business in that regard. But I started in corporate America a little bit and found that it wasn't filling me up, wasn't making me as happy as I wanted to be. So I started to do what I used to do get grapes from California, bring them down in a big cold truck. And that spawned into a small business for me. I would send grapes all over the United States and I would wholesale equipment to help people have the materials they need to make wine. And I had an opportunity to move to Oregon and it was a day that changed my life. I went up there to, I set an appointment with a realtor. I landed, drove to the home that I live in now, looked at it and said, I'll take it. And then I was like, well, let's go wine tasting. And the first place I went was Tory Moore. It's interesting how you both literally took like leaps of faith and went headfirst into something that you really had no really direction to necessarily. I mean, you had a dream and you had a vision and you had a passion, but you totally pushed aside any fear and just went went for it. And I love that. 
Crazy people do crazy things. Uh, amen to that. I, I can attest to that on certain uh, levels. It's also interesting to me, you know, how wine brings communities together and it brings families together and it brings, it just, it's almost like a magnet of emotions and personalities and whatever. It's And I had no idea just how magical it was in that respect, but it is so true. You open a glass of wine or a bottle of wine and all of a sudden people show up at your door. Let me speak to that a minute. Wine is a living substance. In the glass, it's alive. Wine is made up of molecules that are, have some really exciting different capacities. And these molecules, each cell has inside of it what's called a mitochondria, which is something that is an energy development program. And they have lysosomes, which clean the house, so to speak, of bad things and viruses and what have you. And the bottom line is that wine grapes are used frequently in research labs because they like some of the worms and like they're much better than animal laboratory rats actually for studying for purposes of of chemistry and and don't forget that that the beginning of molecular biology which is really what everything is these days started with Linus Pauling who was an Oregonian and who started all of this over here at Oregon State University and won the Nobel Prize for it and and then later with the Vietnam War, he was a peace advocate and won the second Nobel Prize. We got to be proud of that. But he, he believed in living things and he believed in the, the value of what comes from the earth, particularly you know, those plants that we, we cherish, and that being the wine plant. And they have a rate of growth and they have factors that are affected by various fungi, which create different reactions in the grape itself, if tannins change, what have you, and acids and, and, and sugars and all the things that we do to make wine are a result of those changes. And, and we're trying to always keep everything balanced. I believe very much in the Asian philosophy of balance and harmony. And with that being said, I mentioned that I was so struck with this property that I bought that day. The reason was it has a Japanese garden and, and I into that. And I had my other life, I always thought I would be an architect and, and became somewhat of an expert on Frank Lloyd Wright because I was brought up in the Midwest in Wisconsin, not far from where his place was and spent a lot of time there. And, and the idea that it doesn't matter which road you take, but as long as you get to where you need to be, to learn what you have to learn is really the, the message. And, and everything has to be in balance and everything will talk to you. And, and it sounds a little goofy sometimes, but over a glass of wine, it makes sense. But that's me, so. That was really beautiful. I don't know if I could have put that any more eloquently. We need to like capture that like in a, I don't know, something, put it, put it in a frame. I don't know, that was really beautiful, thank you. And it was a great answer to the question that I had had. So, We've kind of all started with like a mix of wine. We've had a little bit of Chardonnay. We've had a little bit of Pinot. I see there's some Syrah over there. So I want to kind of do a little bit of a musical chair with our wine and we'll come back and talk a little bit more about the wine with John and Don and learn a little bit more about Tori Moore. Now that our glasses are refilled and they're happy again and everybody has their happy spots, I want to dive back into the wine and we had left off where John had come to the winery, but why are you here now? So why am I here? Why am I here? It is honestly the story of the epitome of right place at the right time. Had I not told that realtor I'll take the house and gone up to Tory Moore that minute, that day, I might not have known that they were looking to hire somebody to help out in the cellar and to help out in the tasting room. And I, I just fell in love with the place. And I pursued strongly that position once I got back. Margie, Don's wife at the time, I was in contact with her and I said, please wait, wait for me, I'll be up there. I just gotta pack up you know, a couple trucks and I'll be there. And for me, I was in disbelief. I'm like, I get paid to, to do this? I get paid to learn from someone I hold in very high regard, Jacques Tardy, eight generation Burgundian winemaker. And I, I just gathered an, an opportunity there and I, I made the most of it. And I think that's a lot of what happened, you know, what you need to do in life to be successful is maximize your opportunities. So there I was. I was just a grunt helping in the cellar. We were, you know, racking barrels. I was in, instrumental in the move from down where we were up to the new winery. It was just an empty building when I was there. So I helped 
put all the tanks and plumb all the tanks and, and move us all the barrels up there without dropping any. It was uh, really an adventure. But the whole time I was just trying to learn, learn the ways to make wine. And I mean, we, 13 vintages together and not, not, none of the two, none of them been the same. And we, the first one we started off with together was 2007, which was had incredible amount of stress and challenges, especially moving into a new winery, plugging in all the new equipment, hoping it worked. And so at that point I knew we can do anything. You know, there, we, if we could make it through that vintage, we could we could make it through any. But, you know, I, it was definitely a day that changed my life. It changed my life forever. And I, I'm very grateful for that. And I'm, you know, what part of it that keeps you alive and keeps you, keeps you motivated is, is the fans of the wine, the people that I get to see that, that enjoy the wine. I, I, I show the wine all over the United States, and there are people that have been fans of this winery long before I was there. And I just think it has a lot to do with the philosophies and the, the great winemakers that we've had come through there, the products that we come out and uh, we turn out, and then the vineyards that we work with. We are lucky. We do not have any substandard vineyards. We have worked, since I've been there, we, I've gotten to work with Temperance Hill, Hawksview, White Rose, Olson, our vineyard, Marsh, Nisa, Lachlina, just the, Those I can, are big I can names on and on in and vineyards and, and in the Willamette Valley. We get good grapes. And as a winemaker, or if you were a chef, you want to have the best food to work with. As a winemaker, you want to have the best grapes. And we're very fortunate in that regard that we, you know, we know it all starts in the field and, and out there in the vineyard. And so we are very mindful of that and we're, we we hold those up those contracts and those partnerships with those growers very very close to us and we we appreciate those and that's really where where all the goodness of the wine comes from and the soul the the soul that's in the wine i think comes from the passion the winemakers have brought and the and the growers have brought us when they deliver the grapes to the winery we know we're going to get something good because we have we're lucky in that regard so I want to talk about the wine because we've just discussed all these really high end. Everybody knows these vineyards, you know, in the area. And so you are getting some of the best grapes in the area. So what are you making? I, you know, I, I see what's on here, you know, and, and what we're drinking today. But I know there's so much more. Sure. Oh, yeah. Well, for white wine, uh, we're a Pinot Noir house. So we, most of what we do is Pinot Noir. But we also do a lot of really fun whites. We make uh, Pinot Gris, Pinot Blanc. Chardonnay. Occasionally we make some Viognier from Southern Oregon. Very small production on that. But we probably have right now nine, ten different labels of Pinot Noir. A lot of the, the vineyards that we just spoke about, we make very small lots, 150 case, you know, runs, single vineyard stuff, mainly for the, the tasting rooms, the two tasting rooms. We have one in Dundee at the winery and then one in Woodenville. And and for our wine club. Our wine club is, like I said earlier, the fans of our wine are really what drives us and really what keeps keeps us on point. We have about a thousand people in that wine club. Wow, so, you know, that's a once, good number. Yeah. So once that wine club shipment goes out, those 150 cases are now down to, you know, maybe 50 or so. And that's for the tasting room for the year. But, you know, you never get the same wine twice when you are in our club. And uh, some of those single vineyard offerings are really magical, especially in some of the cooler years when they really show their all their individual characteristics, like 2019s that are coming out now. Well, that means that I have to come back up there and check out what you're doing. So, you know, dang it. I, you know, I always have to have an excuse to come back. We also do some, once in a while we do a dry Syrah, but we do a big, a big part of our portfolio is our port uh, that we make from Syrah from Southern Oregon. Which and is amazing. Yeah. I, I just want to stick that in before you get too far. <laughs> no, because port, I've said it, I don't know how many times even today I've said it, but I was blown away because port can be overly sweet and it can be a little bit syrupy and yours is just not that. It is just, it's really lovely. It is It is a product that people will drive all around up that terrible road to get because it doesn't really go into distribution. It's it's a pretty, pretty sizable production. But the, the beauty of that is also that we... We distill the brandy ourselves to fortify the wine with, and we have a distillery permit. On the cooler vintages, we will forfeit some of the juice from each Pinot Noir fermenter, collect that, ferment it dry. That's material that sort of looks like rosé, and then we bring it to the still in the winter after harvest, and we make basically a clear brandy, about 150 proof, and that's what we use to fortify that port. And that port, the beauty of this port, is we make it, it goes to barrel. It, there's never any sulfur dioxide, never any topping of the barrels. We don't do anything. It just relaxes, matures, does its thing, 
and we bottle it one barrel at a time as needed. The longer those that wine can sit in barrel and mature and change, it, it, the better it is. So it's a very artisanal project, and we do everything to make it, which is very cool. So why port? Because not everybody wants to go through all that process, all that time and energy to do that. Is that part of going back to your heritage and kind of that piece of it, or is it completely something different? They had done one before Jacques and I got there in 2003. I don't know if it was... We, we, we always try to do something that's an experiment every year. And, and it, some of them aren't such a great idea, and some of them are. And Port turned out to be one of those that was really a good idea. And, but it, it's important to keep your edges kind of really looking for new ideas. And, and, and Port was one of those new ideas, and it stuck with us. And, and it, you know, it, it goes back to the early days of the IPNC, and when people from all over the world were just hearing about this area and wondering what was going on with Pinot Noir, for example. And, and I, I recall that, that Julia Child you know, would be here every year, and, and, and she'd be out at Jack, at the Palmer House at Jack's Place out there. And, and you'd go, in those days, I would be in Salem a lot, and I'd drive up in the afternoon and always stop and get, get my mushrooms and, and, and garlic and butter and, nothing, and a glass of wine and, and just talk about the world. It was a great time. And, uh, but during that PNC time, Julie Child was there, and she would always have comments about this and that and, and the evolution of Oregon. And, and what a great experience. So I love the history that we've kind of, we've walked down this really beautiful path of history from really start to finish. Okay, so here's the million dollar question. It's the last one of the day. Tell me what is the best thing about being a winemaker? Well, honestly, it's probably going to sound kind of, kind of corny, but it really comes down to about one to two minutes a year. And it happens once or twice. And it's usually on a holiday when I'm sitting down at a long table with a lot of wine on the table. And I look at my family and I think about what I'm thankful for. And then I think about all the families around the country or the world that are have saved a bottle of wine that I made and then opening it up with their family and sharing that same experience with them. And I think about how far the arms reach and how uh, the fans of our wine, how it all integrates into their family and their experiences in happy times, like like the holidays or, or any time for really for that matter. It could be a, a simple Friday night, an anniversary or whatever. But I know that people love our wines. They bring them home and they a lot of times they save them for 5, 10, 15 years. And they, they have their eyes on that bottle. And then there's that one time when they open them and to know that I have a little piece or a little part of their experience that I that I helped elevate by making something that they love or that they've been looking forward to or they've been saving, cherishing, cellaring, all those things. And my hopes is when they open it that it meets all their expectations that they were that they were waiting for. And it's those little moments, those those microscopic moments that uh, that kind of drive you and they give you that that lift during harvest when you're tired and it's day 30, day 35, and, you, and you, you're, you're, you're worn down. But it's those little moments that give you all that energy and all that, that drive and all and remind you of what it's all about. It's, it's an experience. It's not just about the wine. It's about, it's about everything around you and what led up to it. And, and for me, that is the best part about making wine. I think that pretty much sums it up. It takes it from every feel in the book and it's pretty much a mic drop from right there thank you so very much that was just so great we really need to tell people where to find you and how to come to the winery whether it's in woodenville dundee where to find it online social media you know that's why we're here we want people to find you drink sure. your wine and become that next group of fans we shouldn't be too hard to find we are right in the heart of it all I and mean, you go downtown dundee take a right head up the hill that's our main headquarters. That's where the winery is. That's where our original tasting room is. That's where the vineyard is. About six years ago, we had an idea to reach more people that really wanted our wine. So we decided to open a tasting room in Woodenville, and it has been really a successful venture. If you have you ever been to Woodenville, there's really nothing else to do there but eat and taste wine. 
So people go there. So it's a wine tasting destination. It's it's been a, it's been good for us. And we're all, we're on social media: Instagram, Facebook. Of course, you can visit the website at uh, torymorewinery.com. And it's T O R I I yes M O R right. So you can really botch it. <laughs> so I just want to make sure you don't botch it, right. and you can find them just fine. Well, gentlemen, thank you so incredibly much. This I've been so looking forward to this, and you coming into McMinnville and hanging out with us, and we'll see you soon. Thank you. We've been looking forward to it as well. Thank you. You're very welcome. Hey, wine collectors. I've got a question for you. What do wine and spirits bottles, functional wood art, and storage all have in common? Two words. Oregon Winewood. They're a local Oregon company bringing your vision for unique and personalized storage to life for over 60 years. If you've ever been to our office here in McMinnville, Oregon, you'll have seen his wine racks and custom desks spread throughout our entire space. So give his portfolio a swirl and check out OregonWineWood.net. Cheers, y'all! Hey, everybody. Thanks for sticking with us. We got through the story of Tori Moore, which was such a beautiful history lesson and trip down memory lane and what they're really doing now, which is great things. But we are coming back with a ball of energy with Bill and Sherry Price with 4031 Wines. I am always looking for somebody with a great attitude, a great story, amazing energy that kind of bounce off the walls. And they were actually a recommendation from a friend of mine that I needed to meet them. So, you know, we actually squeezed it in Wednesday because usually I come out and visit you first and we hang out and drink wine and chit chat and whatever else. And we were, we were squeezing it in. So, and we got carried away. We were, I don't know, I was late going home that night. So anyhow, so I want to introduce Bill and Sherry Price with 4031. They are here locally in McMinnville. Uh, Both they live here and their label and their vineyard and everything is here. So I'm going to, you know, I'm going to shift and we're going to talk about you guys. And I know that you bounced around a little bit and I know Bill did not drink wine before this all happened, if I understood correctly, or very little. And Sherry has been a very large influence in changing his mind. So how did 4031 come about and why? Why did you do this? Because it was another big leap of faith as well. Yeah, speaking of a leap of faith, more like insane courage. We've never been in the wine business before. We bought our vineyard in 2017. And it's just been an incredible ride from there. Insane days of joy and also insane days of fear, just up and down as we try to navigate and figure out. We bought the vineyard in 2017, so we had a crash course the first year in what it takes to grow grapes. And then thereafter that, we had a crash course in what it takes to make wine. So it's been just an absolute incredible adventure. I would like to say it was, you know, some big dream. It really wasn't. We just kind of stumbled into it. We were looking for some property to to buy and it just so happened to have a vineyard on it. And we just thought, oh, well, that sounds cool. And there we are. Here we are today. you had no idea how much work goes into a vineyard. And Uh your guys' background is not in wine. It's not in farming. It's it's IT. So how did you guys meet? Because it's kind of this cute little love story on, you know, all the all the globe trotting and all over the coast and everything that you've done. So I'm always a sucker for a love story. So we need to kind of start there because it, then it lends into the wine. Well, we were both in corporate IT. We met at work and that was many years ago. And we traveled around the States quite a bit. But when we came back to Oregon, we it's actually kind of the opposite story to Tori Moore because We've just had the vineyard for three years. We came back looking for property to build a house and found this beautiful property that meant a lot to us. And we had some, I don't know, we really had like a really strong pull to this property, but it was 55 acres and had seven and a half acres of Pinot Noir grapes. And what do you do with that? You know, we were still both working. I had the opportunity though to let get laid off and when that happened that opened a whole nother opportunity for us and this between this property and my getting laid off and scrambling to try to figure out how we were going to make it work there were so many obstacles in the way but at the end of the day cashed in my 401k and a hundred other doors opened and suddenly we owned this property and so the the very day that i was my official day i got laid off we got the vineyard we were our offer was approved and about 
instantaneously between screaming and jumping up and down. I get, became completely terrified because my career had just changed. And that next Monday, I was cold calling to who would want to buy grapes. Every wine winemaker was getting a call from me practically on trying to get the grapes sold. The, the thing that was interesting when we were talking and, you know, people say things that just kind of resonate and they kind of become like almost like earworms to a certain extent was that you specifically said that the, the winemaker and the wine industry in Oregon has been the most kind people to really two individuals that know nothing and are starting from the beginning and everybody kind of opened their doors and opened, you know, their, you know, their knowledge banks to you to help you get off the ground and get going. Yes. So our, this industry is very inviting. It's to the point where while cold calling, I was used to corporate world. So you have gatekeepers all over the place. You can, you know, you have to have a relationship or be married to somebody that, that is in at Nike or something. I mean, it's really hard to get into some, some accounts and some clients. So I was expecting the same thing in this industry. And it was absolutely the opposite. They're so warm and inviting. And I remember calling Thomas Hausman at Anime. And he was funny because he said, where are you? And, you know, eight miles outside of McMinnville and off of Baker Creek Road. And he's like, oh, Sherry, I know exactly where you are. I almost bought that property. I've walked that property probably more than you have. And then that just got a whole nother conversation going. And although he didn't need grapes, he referred me to five or six other winemakers that I could call who would answer the phone. You didn't have to go through a receptionist or, you know, a secretary or anything. And it was just, it's become very, very warm. And that's the crazy thing, because when you do call a place like Anime, who is a, a fairly large winery, and you call to expect to talk to a receptionist or you expect to talk to maybe the taste room person, and you actually get the winemaker who answers the phone and says hello and is willing to talk to you, it's, it's I don't know, it kind of, you know, makes you, give you the good feelings all over the place. Well, and in general, you, you'd spend the first five minutes of them congratulating you for buying a vineyard and being part of the the game, you know, for, for, you know, building the dream. And although our dream wasn't that big, I mean, we talked about it a little bit for a couple of years on, wouldn't it be nice to have a vineyard and it's so pretty <laughs> far from actually, you know, work in the land and feeling passionate about our, our beautiful property that is just more special than I can say. And we are all in. We have a great vineyard manager and we do a lot of work ourselves. Bill's always on the tractor tilling or mowing or hundred other things. And yeah, no, no but, I, I still have my day job, but uh, I spend as much time as I can at the vineyard. It's just hugely relaxing to me. And it's just great to be outdoors, you know, and I think one of the things that I learned out of all of this, I hadn't really thought about before, but you know, you, you, you think about wine, you think about it in your glass, you think about it in a bottle, but you don't really think about what it takes to get there. And that, you know, farming is a huge part of making wine. And, you know, it's at least half or more as much of the effort. And so that's been a, a wonderful experience for me personally is being involved in that side of it. You know, I, I am not a winemaker. I, I, that doesn't really interest me that much, but I love being a farmer and I love getting my hands dirty. And we just love being out there and spend a lot of time out there as much as we can. I look forward to the new vintage coming every year. You know, winter's kind of our downtime. We don't do too much then, but, you know, as soon as April, May start to roll around, it picks up from there and then you're you're on the wild ride again. So, it's go time. Yep. It's absolutely go time. It seems like as soon as bud break hits, it is like a sharp sprint to harvest. The vineyard grows so vigorously, so fast. It takes so much work and care that... Unless you've really been in a vineyard and you've spent a time with a vineyard manager, you have no idea what actually goes into that process. I mean, I'm a great example of that. I thought you just, you know, grew it. It was on a plant. You picked it, you squished it, and you put it in a bottle. And that was the, the most ridiculous thing thought. I mean, I didn't know. I had no idea. So now that I've been around it and I'm, you know, have been in and out of the vineyard and the, the winery, it's, it's truly an amazing labor-intensive, draining, tired, but rewarding process. It is on its own schedule for sure. You know, it's not like you get to sit back and necessarily decide when you want to do things. It tells you when it's ready to do things and uh, you have to be ready. So it's, it's very different from that perspective, yeah. When we're talking about vineyards, you, you know, I know there is something that you said to me on Wednesday. You know, a vineyard has terroir, like we talked about with Dawn. It has its own personality. It has its own microclimate. It has its own 
attitude, how's everything? But you had said something because you guys are on kind of the the banks of the coastal range that you could smell the ocean when you were up at the vineyard the other day, which was it's just a very image provoking, you know way of putting it. And you probably can smell the ocean there, but nobody would have ever thought that that smell and that breeze, that wind, whatever it is, would affect your grapes. That's right. I was just going to say too, that Don spoke so beautifully about the terroir and I've heard it before, you know, and you hear the cliche lines about it, but then when you really start, well, our crash course as it is and learning about what it means, and then it's yours and you want to take care of it and, and you're passionate about it and you, and you go through all the live certifications or whatever it is to be ever more mindful of what you're doing right so that you're taking care of it. But our winemaker has said that we have such a strong sight stamp where it's very, the Pinot Noir is very, I've lost For, my words. Forest floor. It's forest floor and it's, it's. Salinity. Salinity. Thank you. Let me help you. <laughs> this is why you guys That's make such a great together. team. Yes. <laughs> the salinity and the forest floor. <laughs> and I, I understand it. I mean, I can taste it and I smell it. I just, I love, I love our wine, but it was this one morning, COVID kind of forced us <laughs> through boredom because we, all of our sales events were canceled. So we built out this beautiful little weekend spot for us at our vineyard and waking up in the morning now out there, cause we don't live on the property. We had this experience where the open the windows and this beautiful, cool breeze came through and we're standing there and it was just like, seriously, you could smell oysters and like crushed shells and serious f- seashells and things. And I'm like, oh my God, this is straight off the coast. It's like 30 miles as the crow flies over the, over the mountains. We're in this beautiful little microclimate and this sweet little valley with hills all around. And sure enough, this coastal breeze was hitting strong. And it was just a beautiful aha moment that we had giggling, standing there. Yay! Well, that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love the fact that you tell your vineyard good morning. Every I morning. do. Yes. Well, I told you that story because it's so quiet and peaceful up there. And there's something about we get on that property and it's just Sammy's been there, our friend. And you just, I don't know, we feel very passionate and peaceful when we get there. And so in the morning when it's just so quiet, you don't hear cars, you hear nothing except birds. And I yell out, good morning, vineyard. And I just know, you know, as, as the voice travels along the valley, it's probably people are wondering, what the heck? Who's moved in? <laughs> Who's that crazy lady on the hill? <laughs> Keep saying good morning. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a point where you go from being a vineyard owner to where you are making wine and you have your own label. And like always, we have lots of bottles on the table and it's probably time to play a little bit of a roulette with the wine. I have what has been touted as something I really needed to drink, which is delicious, which is your white Pinot. And I'm not going to say anything more because I want to talk about it. But I also want to try some of the other things that you've brought us because they're special and they're yours and they have a beautiful label. So I want to talk about that as well. So let's um, take a quick wine break and we'll come right back. Our glasses are full, so it's time to get back at this. And I have been hinting and teasing about the wine and what we're drinking. But I want you to talk about where 4031 Wines came from and how it transitioned from being just a vineyard and vineyard owners into now a label, because now you've you've double dipped. You've gone to both sides of the dark side. Well, I I will start off by saying that one of the kind of rude awakenings of owning a vineyard is to realize that it's a tough business just to grow grapes. It's it's farming. And as usual, you're affected by, you know, climate changes and things like that. You never can really predict what you're going to get year to year on your yields. And, you know, when you're small like we are and we have to hire a vineyard manager to come in and do a lot of the technical work with the vines, it it's just tough to make much money on it. And so that kind of led us down the path of saying, you know, what does it mean when you make wine and how does that work? And it seemed like kind of a natural progression. You know, here you have the fruit. What what can you do with it besides just selling it? And so kind of both those two things came together and that's kind of what got us into the wine business. And of course, we're still kind of learning our way through that. Our, our first wine we actually had for sale was in late 2019. So we were just starting to hit the sales events, all the wine events, and then COVID hit. So it's it's been... Uh, kind of a tough 2020 for us because we we got kind of stopped dead in our tracks there as far as any events. We actually got to go to the Portland Seafood and Wine Festival in February. And then after that, everything was 
was shut down. So we're looking forward to things opening back up and, and getting back to a place where uh, we can get in front of people. We love to get in front of people. We love to pour our wine. We love their reaction to it. And I just, I get excited every time we have an event. I'm like a kid around Christmas, you know, the night before I'm like ready to go. So Sherry, you want to talk about 4031? Yeah, I wanted you to kind of go back and tell us what 4031 means. And because it was really a beautiful segue both towards your story and what this wine is. I'll go back just a little bit because we named the vineyard Ten Peaks Vineyard. And our intent, and that was literally standing on a hill just counting the hills really we called them peaks it sounded better but nonetheless 10 peaks is what we were going to call the wine too but our patent attorney called us thankfully i had done labels called us days before we were finalizing and said there's this argentinian company it's huge conglomerate they're selling in california i would highly recommend you rename your wine so we were like back to this you know drawing board and we'd gone in a couple of weeks, maybe t- testing out different names and thousands of lists and all. And I'm a prayerful person. So I went to my Bible and there is this one verse that I have always loved. And I don't know why, but it's since I was like 20s, long time ago. <laughs> and so I read this verse and I thought, and the verse says, and this is after we bought the vineyard, you know, and the highs and the lows and all these things on why we shouldn't get this property. And then it all came open and fell, fell through perfectly for us. But the verse is, is from Isaiah 40, 31. And it says, for those who hope in the Lord, you will renew your strength. You will mount on wings like eagles. You will run and not be weary and you will walk and not faint. And I read that for the hundredth time, but then I felt it mostly on what we were dealing with, with the, with the vineyard, with the property. And I thought, well, I can't call the label Isaiah 4031. It's a bit long. So I just thought 4031 wines and waited a couple of days and prayed about it and talked to Bill about it. And he's like, I love that. And it stuck. So that's it. And it really is a verse that talks about, Don mentioned it a little bit too. You have days that are glorious and you're riding high and everything is wonderful. And then you have fires <laughs> or really terrible storms or, you know, there's just, and then you ride high again and then it keeps going, but it all comes through, comes through in the end. So I think it was such a, when you were telling me that the other day and recited that, that verse, it just, with what you'd already told me, it just was really serendipitous and kind of really identified and told the story of, of the two of you and where your, you know, where your story had began, where it went through, you know, down your path and where you're sitting at now and why you're here. So, you know, it all comes down to hard work, passion and love for what you're doing. And it shows with, you know, both the two of you together with your wine, with your business. It's really, really endearing. And I love it. I mean, you're again, your energy is just, I love having you guys around because <laughs> you're fun. And Bill is, you know, has those dad jokes or whatever it is that he's doing that, you know, keeps everything kind of goofy and light. And I love it. So there, there is another element, though. There is a part where you have to be courageous. And it's, it's great to be an, a couch sitting dreamer. And if you really have a dream or you have something of a passion or just anything to where if it's you wanting to buy land or flip a house or buy a vineyard or start your own company, whatever it is, just do it. It, it can be the smallest of things. And, and for me, if where I was prayerful, those doors just opened up and opened up. But it's just much more exciting and passionate if you can not still be on the couch wishing you did it. Absolutely. There's a whole lot more power to that. Well, I want to talk about the wine because we do have this white Pinot that I have been hearing about for weeks, Sammy. It's weeks. <laughs> but I never see a bottle come in my office to be shared with me. So it did come in today. I did finally steal a glass out of it. And it is a white Pinot, which is a little bit um, misleading because at least with this vintage, because it's not clear. It's not white. It's not that golden color. It's actually this beautiful rose gold, just, I don't know, just it's this beautiful color and it tastes fantastic. So I want you to tell us what you're doing. I want you to specifically tell us, you know, about this wine because I really like it, but you know, what else do you have in your lineup? What do you have coming up? What do we have to look forward to? Well, we're, our vineyard's 100% Pinot Noir. So the seven and a half acres are basically broken up into three blocks. We have three different clones, but it's all 100% Pinot Noir. So we've tried to be creative as we can about what we can do with that. And so there's different, a lot of different things you can do with, with Pinot besides make just a red. And so the white Pinot was kind of one of our latest adventures where we you know, saw the opportunity to produce something that 
that was a little bit different. I think we actually had our first really good white Pinot at, at Hawksview, I think is where we had it. And uh, we loved it. And that was several years ago. So when we saw the opportunity to actually make some, we seized upon it. This particular one we like to um, refer to as our not so white, white Pinot because it actually came out with a rose gold color. It just so happened that 2019, we had a year that resulted in some fairly fragile skins on our, on our fruit. And Pinot Noir is kind of fragile as it is. But we started to see the skins break down. We actually had spots where some of the fruit was starting to fall off of the, of the vine towards the harvest. So we had to get it off quick. But as a result of that, we suspect what happened is some microscopic pieces of fruit probably got through the process and that's what gave it the color. It wasn't intended. It was expected to be white, but we love it because it's kind of unique. It's different. It's very unique. And I know I want just want to circle back super fast because because of where your vineyard is, you ripen almost last. Like yes. you are an extremely late ripening vineyard because you're tucked in that, you know, the coastal range and those hills and whatever else. And so, you know, this rainstorm that you were talking about that kind of soaked this fruit, it was because you hadn't picked so late. Your, mm-hmm. your bricks counts right. weren't up or whatever, right. and it came off late. And that's why you have this beautiful color. We'd almost prefer probably to be a wholly sparkling or a rosé site just because you get to harvest earlier. But it's always tempting to make the red because, you know, that defines the Willamette Valley Pinot Noir. But, yeah, there's been years where, you know, we're sitting there on October 28th holding our breath, waiting, watching the weather to see if there's another rainstorm coming in. If you're familiar with the Willamette Valley, you know, when you start getting to late October, you're really kind of pushing the envelope on the winter rains showing up and and once that happens you can be in trouble so but we do wait as late as we can and that's really we're just waiting for both the the bricks and the ph to get to the right numbers so we do make rosé from the pinot noir and we have sparkling wine that is the method champenoise so it's a good time investment that's a that's a test in patience right there it's at least three year wait but working with the winemaker all along so the taste profiles and stuff are what we want and everything and we actually used our white pinot for the dosage as the liqueur and the dosage and it's we were so excited about that. So our wines are estate. They're all our grapes, except the Pinot Gris. Of course, we don't have that on our property. We bought that from um, Lazy River. And then Jim Sanders is our winemaker and made the Pinot Gris. And it's delicious. But we wanted to have a good profile of all the colors. <laughs> now, our sparkling has sold out. So we have more sparkling coming at the end of October, a lot more cases. And the what we have left now is just reserved for the wine club members. So don't call and ask them for sparkling right now. You can call and ask us to join the wine club. Oh, you can do that. Nice job. (laughs) Go ahead and put that right in there. We love that. And, of course, you know, Heidi, you can come to our house anytime. Well, I know the gate code now, so I can (laughs) can get in the neighborhood. (laughs) I know. You shouldn't have had me write it down on a sticky note. Those last forever. So what else should we talk about? I mean, you just have such a... I don't know. You have such a... Oh, the labels. Oh, yes. Let's talk about the labels. Actually, we do need to circle back because I know you wanted to give some credit and some homage to your your winemakers because you have some great winemakers that are helping you with all of this. Yes. Thank you. So like I said, Jim Sanders made our Pinot Gris and all the Pinot Noir. So the white Pinot Noir and the red. Alex Fullerton from Fullerton Wines. We adore him too. And he made our rosé, which I'm addicted as are others in this room. Uh, And then Michael Landine from Walnut City here in McMinnville. He's our incredible sparkling wine craft maker wine person. We love him. He's he's helped us. All of our winemakers really have let us be very, very involved to help us learn. We've had so many barrel tastings with Jim. It's just been an amazing learning crash course, but really incredible learning from the best in, in the industry. And they, and they are polite and let me an, ask my stupid questions <laughs> and help teach us, you know, what, what each event means. For instance, we when we bought the vineyard, we didn't have any bottles to show when I was cold calling and, and trying to promote our, our grapes. The previous owner lived in L.A. and I think made his wine for the industry that he was in at the time. And so there really wasn't anything to show. So Jim was very gracious and very took a lot of time to try to learn what each block had going for it and how, which best attributes we were going to use in our final product. And 17 is a really good wine, but with all the extra nutrition and all the things that we're doing to the vineyard now, you can see even on the 18th how it's just progressing and it's just getting really incredible. 
I'm going to say right now that I have not been introduced to the rosé, so, you know. I'm in trouble. Yes. <laughs> I'm just going to go ahead and um, text That's you when cute. we're done here. <laughs> Where have I been in this loop? I've been out. So, anyhow, we'll, we'll talk later. I do want to go back to these labels because I'm, I'm a label person. I'm a very visual, you know, artistic, creative, whatever you want to call it. And so, you know, there's another label that is in the valley that is similar kind of in the fact that it's abstract like that, but it's talking about the wine. This was a completely different project. And this is just, this is really kind of a cool story. And I'd never heard of this place that, you know, and how you did this. Well, well you think the labels are cruel. You should see our house. I wasn't <laughs> invited in. You want to talk in. about abstract. Yeah. <laughs> oh, stop. He's being funny. That's the dad joke. Our labels. I'm really happy with them. It started, it, it, my designer is a woman in, she's in New Mexico, and she's done wine labels and alcohol labels for a long time. She was based in Chicago, moved to New Mexico, and I met her through a website called 99designs. <clears throat> and it's a site where it, it allows a person, you know, somebody new in an industry like me with not a lot of money for, for this kind of thing to go in and then produce your branding or try to try to figure out what your branding would be. And when you go on the site initially, you're asked a number of questions to try to articulate that brand. And I was already on to that. I knew what I wanted pretty much. And we knew the, the name and things like that. So I wanted contemporary. I wanted something that was elegant simple, but I wanted, I didn't want 4031 wines to be just the wings of eagles, which is part of the, part of the scripture verse. That was just a little bit too obvious to me. So I wanted something though that had movement and was kind of showed air, air moving and change and things like that. And she came up with this design, this one woman, I saw, I saw her, we got uh, like 400 responses of all these different designers all over the world. And you narrow your choices down, and then there's different contests. You can send out your final choices to family members and friends, and then they can vote. It's a really crazy good website. I think it's all of $300 to do this. And I met this woman, and she had only that she was between gigs and thought she'd try this website ended up not liking it as a designer I think she was kind of above all of that in a way but I, that's how I found her she's never gone back on there to do any more designing we were just this little glitch and for me it was a god it was a meant to be thing I found Rudy Backart is her name Backart if I said that right and she's she's incredible I think it's Backart Designs is the name of her company. And um, and it's it's like paint drizzles, it's correct? It's drop art. She's drop an art. artist as well. So it's so each varietal has a different drop art. And then the 4031 wines and our brand is the 4031 wines is in is black in a contemporary font. And then the colon between the numbers is in metallic gold. So it's a black, white, metallic gold, simple, but kind of eye popping. And I love it. I was so happy with the final result. You've got to love with what is, you know, what you have, you know, what's on the bottle, what's in the bottle. You've got to absolutely love it. So I want people to know where to find you, just like with, you know, Tori Moore. Where do we find you? What's your social media? What's the website? How do we buy your wine? Yeah, the website's easy. It's 4031 Wines, but we also have a website out there for the vineyard too. It's called 10 Peaks Vineyard, all spelled out. So you can come in either way and you can find us on uh, Instagram, Facebook, or via the website. Well, I am so glad that you guys came in. You've trusted me to tell your story or have, you know, given you the platform to help tell your story and we'll be drinking more wine later. So again, Thank you, have, have a great weekend and we'll, we'll chat soon. Thank Thanks. you for this opportunity. It's, it's been wonderful. Thank you. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. Thank you to all our listeners for tuning in today. And don't forget to follow Wine Crush Podcast on social media and your favorite podcasting platform. And make sure to review and subscribe to the show, as well as joining the newsletter to be notified on all Wine Crush happenings on winecrushpodcast.com. Cheers, y'all. And remember, life is short. Drink the wine. We want to give a special thanks to all of our partners of Wine Crush Podcast, sponsored by Country Financial, produced and managed by the Daydream Agency, audio engineered by Silent Outburst Productions, our culinary partner, Pura Vida Casina, and to all of our wonderful listeners in Oregon wine country and to those around the world. Hey, thank you so very much. We really appreciate all your support.